you know, I see my heroes, you know, Cody Asbury, I, I just love, and Jeremy Riddle, I love, and, and I see Sheldon Taves up here, and I love, and the temptation is, maybe I could do that, maybe I could be a worship leader, maybe I should be a worship leader, because if, if, if I think I want to do it, and if it's in my mind to do, it must be the will of God. Indeed, indeed, what could go wrong? You know what? No. 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 Because I'll tell you what, the whole message today, and you can put that on the screen, Juliana, please, the whole message today is being exactly the person God has called us to be. And let me tell you, and you can give your amen, God has not called me to be on the stage strumming away for all to enjoy. All right? God has not called me to do that. And the whole message today, He must increase, I must decrease, He before I. I love that the I is lowercase I as well. Even better. Today I want to talk about John the Baptist. I want to talk about John the Baptist. I love John the Baptist. In fact, as soon as my son was born, and we had already decided his name would be Samuel, I had this vision of, I need to name him John. Because of all that John stood for, how he declared and paved the way for Christ to come. But there was a problem with the name John, is that my dad would have thought it was in his honor. And he would have said, thank you, son, for naming him after me. And I would have said, well, actually, it wasn't you, it was, it, was, it was John the Baptist. And then my family would have said, thank you for naming him after your very recently deceased Opa. What an honor you would have done. And again, I would have had to have said, no, no, that would have been good, but I, I didn't do that either. It was John the Baptist. And my brother-in-law would have said, Wow, I didn't know we were that. I didn't know we were that close. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know I was there in your life. And again, I would have had to let him down easy. And John Piper would have said, "All right, John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes in saying, this is said about him. John one twenty-seven. Not the light. John the Baptist was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And that was his ministry. That was his life in a nutshell. And John, just to give you some background on him, you know, John, John was a fairly normal guy. Fairly normal Jewish guy. I mean, besides the miracle birth to elderly parents and the priestly family 
and the Holy Spirit in the womb that leapt for joy when Mary came into the room and his public ministry, which was in the wilderness from who knows when until the end when he went into jail, the clothes that he wore, the food that he ate. He was a pretty normal guy, more or less. Listen to the proclamation, the destiny that this angel says from Luke 1.14. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That is, um, that's amazing that that was told of him by the angel to his father before he was even born. This is his destiny. This is his destiny. And John's in the desert. He's proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Making way for the Lord. He's eating locusts. He's eating honey. He's wearing camel's hair. He's out there. He had an amazing ministry. An amazing ministry. Let's get to our main text. Turn with me if you would like. John 3, 26 to 30. John 3, 26 to 30. Here we go. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And you know, this statement was his life. He must increase, and therefore, I must decrease. This was his heart's cry. His mission, his focus. He lived by these words. And I just want to remind us before we go into John stepping away in favor of Christ, how much John had going for him. He was baptizing the multitudes in the Jordan River. He had an amazing ministry. He was preaching repentance, he was preaching good living, he had authority. He had power. He could have claimed to be the Christ and it would have held weight with the people. That's how important and huge his ministry was. And it's important that we look at how big John's ministry was because we need to read his statement in light of that. John wasn't saying... Well, I I guess I'll just sweep less floors and he'll increase. John had a massive ministry. So when he says, yeah, I'm going to have to decrease and he's going to have to increase, there was a big cost there. There was a big change there. Jesus himself says this of John in Matthew 11. 
Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there, are, there have arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. I mean, it, that's big words from Jesus. He, he kind of knows how to, how to call people for who they are. Yet the one who is least of the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The big idea today, less is more, surrendering all to Jesus. John the Baptist knew this. He believed this. He lived this. It's true for him and it's really definitely true for us as well. So we're going to go through the three P's of surrendering all to Jesus through the life of John. And the three P's are perception, purpose, and position. Perception, purpose, and position. So perception. Perception is our sight. Our vision, how we see things, how we perceive things, how we recognize things, how we see the world, how we see ourselves. Could we agree that John was really, really focused? John was an intense dude. He, John makes me look like I'm asleep. All right? That is intense, okay? And, and, and we're all made a certain way, and that's fine. But, but John was, was really intense. He was really focused. And I always thought his blunt declarations of Jesus were, were a little off-putting. Like, like, why are you going to just spew all over people like that, John? Like, John 1, and 35, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm sure he pointed when he said it. I'm sure he cut people off when he said it. This isn't how people talked then. Nobody knew of him as the Lamb of God. And here's John blurting it out. And then again, the next day he says it, 135. Next day, John was with two of his disciples and looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Again, two days in a row, he's just blasting off on Jesus like that. You know, this could be off-putting. I went to college with a girl who, who didn't really have a filter. And... And tended to say things that were, it just made you nervous all the time because you never knew what she was going to say. Like, like you'd walk by her and she'd be like, why are you wearing that shirt? Why are you wearing that blue shirt? We do wear in blue. You know, or, and, 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 and eventually you just avoid them because you think, I don't know what they're going to say next and, and I, I can't be around that. I just can't be around that. That's too, that's too nerve wracking for me. And, That's not exactly what John was doing. John didn't have a blurting issue. All right? He had a really, really focused perception issue. Because John was always looking for the Christ. And he was looking because the Holy Spirit enabled him to look. This is what John himself says. John 1, 33 and 34. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Through the Holy Spirit and His constant looking, focusing on finding the Christ and declaring Him, John was solely focused outwardly. His perception wasn't even on his own ministry. It was looking ahead to Christ. 
He wasn't looking on himself. And perception is so important because sometimes if circumstances changes, our perception can change with it. What did John say when he went to prison? How did John's circumstances change when he went to prison? John wasn't seeing very much anymore. His perception had changed. It had faded in prison. And he asked his disciples, he said, Go to Christ and ask, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? How did Jesus reply? He said, Tell him what you've seen, that the blind have been healed, the lepers have been healed, the lame can walk. Tell them what you've seen, what you've perceived. Help his perception again. Do we think of John as having a lack of faith in prison? Is this questioning a lack of faith? You know, what would be worse than that would have been him not asking anything at all. If he would have let those doubts creep in because the immediate eyesight that he had on Jesus wasn't there anymore and those doubts would have crept in and he would have said, well, maybe this wasn't Jesus. Maybe I was wrong. It was right that he sent his people to ask Jesus to clarify, to help him see You know, the beauty for us is, is, here's some real truth, okay? We can only look at one thing at a time. It's just that simple, right? How many things can you look at at a time? Just, just one thing. As I look to you, I can't see anything else here. If I'm really focused on you, I can't see anything about myself. And the beautiful thing is as we look to Jesus as we have Him increase in our perception, we will naturally decrease in our own perception of self. It's just going to happen. It's built right in. It's that simple. It's the law of perception. You can only look at one thing at a time. And as we make much of Christ like John did, with our eyesight, with our vision, and our attention... Our self is forced to decrease. It's forced to take a back seat. Have you guys ever heard what John Piper says? Who again, I would have had to have clarified with naming my son John. About heaven, he says, In heaven, it won't be a house of mirrors. Do you guys know what he means by that? There will be no mirrors in heaven. Because we're not even going to want to look at ourselves. We're not going to have to look at ourselves. So the first way that John decreased so that Christ could increase in his life was his perception. The second was in John's purpose. In his purpose. You know, in John 3, when we pick it up, what are the people saying to him? They're saying, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. In short, that guy's taking your ministry. That newbie that just came into the desert that you baptized now thinks that he could take your ministry. What are you going to do about that? Are you going to go dye the water so everyone runs away? What are you going to do? Are you Are going to try and run some miracles? His entourage was saying, 
This new guy, Jesus, is taking your ministry. And John, beauty, John's just beauty. He says, 327, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before. And people thought he was the Christ. It says in Luke that people in their hearts were already wondering, I wonder if John is the Christ. I wonder. And he's saying, before they're even asking, I'm not the Christ. So John's response to people saying, Jesus is taking your ministry. Sweet, super, this is good. I'm glad he is. He's way better. And my ministry wasn't even mine anyway. It was all given by God. It wasn't even mine. John understood that he was the front runner to Jesus. His ministry was completely given by God. The highs, the lows, and he knew his place, his time, and his purpose. This is John's own um, assessment of himself. I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He quoted Isaiah 40. And we can get really bent out of shape when we lose sight of our purpose. Our purpose is super important to us. Super important to us. Sometimes I like seeing this in family dynamics. If you get a big family with maybe a a three-year-old and a seven-year-old and a ten-year-old, sometimes those roles and purposes get a little bit goofy because the parent says to the three-year-old, stop jumping on the couch. And then the parent will leave and the ten-year-old will come in and say, okay, you heard stop jumping on the couch, now you're grounded. Come on, we're going to your room. You are grounded, mister. Don't you talk back to me. Right? And then the parent has to gently kind of come alongside and say, you know what, if, if you could let me parent, that would be nice. And, and you just be the kid. That happens. It happens all the time. And, it, and it's good that the kids are taking ownership, and that's, that's great. But we can lose our purpose. It gets a little fuzzy. This is really crucial in the church, because sometimes the easiest thing is to get this wrong in the church. Because in God's good purpose, in His favor to us, He chooses to use us for really amazing things. But we need to channel our inner Baptist. We need to channel our inner Baptist. I know we're Pentecostals, it's fine. But we need to channel our inner Baptist. We need to constantly be pointing, constantly be declaring. There's the Lamb of God. There's the Christ. There's Jesus. In every situation, our purpose is to bring people back to the Lord. In every situation. And this can go really badly if we don't do it correctly. The story of Herod in Acts 12 is, is a really hard story. Because King Herod, 
must have been a wonderful speaker because he just finished giving this huge talk to the people and they declared by saying what they said, this is the voice of a God. Wow. His pitch was perfect. The annunciation was crisp. It was just beautiful. His voice rose and fell for dramatic effect. This is a voice of a God. And then Herod died. Because in that short moment of time, before they declared him a God, and his lack of response... An angel of the Lord came and killed him for not giving the glory back to God. That's a hard story. Because if you're in the church long enough, you will be thanked in many different ways for doing something. And God is really concerned that he always is getting his glory. That our purpose, like John's purpose, is to point back to Christ. To always point back to Christ. When we give up our ways and live as people we're called to, who He's called us to be, He's glorified in us because when we operate in that way, He's specially designed us that He can move through us and in us in the most glorifying manner. And our purpose is to glorify God in everything we do. Thirdly, our position. So John and us practice decreasing so that Christ can increase through our perception, how we see things, see things Sorry, through our purpose, who we think we are and the work that we have, and our position, the role that we play, who we see ourselves in the hierarchy of the kingdom. And this is so great. John 3.29 The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, or the groom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. John knew he was the friend of the groom. He never confused himself with being the groom himself. He never confused himself. And the friend of the bridegroom, or the friend of the groom, had prominent roles in the wedding ceremony. They had prominent roles. They were part of the special day. They made the arrangements. But most importantly, they brought the bride to the groom. Do you see the purpose in that? Do you see what John knew his role was? He said, he said I'm not the groom, but I make the introduction I make sure they get together. John knew he was bringing the people and Jesus together. That was his role. And you don't linger in a role like that. We were set up, my wife and I, we were set up on, not really a blind date, but it was, you know, kind of set up. And that's fine. So if any of you were set up and now you're married, way to go. It, It works. And, uh, so that's great. We were set up. But you know what would have been really bad is if the person who set us up would have just hung around. 
Like, it would have started off, you know, kind of annoying and escalated from there, right? Because it would have been like, okay, your job is done. You need to go. Thank you. But you need to go. All right? You've done your part. We're thankful. Please go now. All right? So, John knew, I don't linger. I bring them together and I go. This is my purpose. This is my purpose. And this could be difficult. So, quote, only a great man can accept his demise with joy. Only a great man can accept his demise with joy. John knew he couldn't even untie the sandal of Jesus. He said, I'm not even, un- I'm not even fit to untie his sandal. Heaven forbid I try to baptize you, which he eventually conceded to. The interesting thing about the sandal is the difference between a disciple and a servant was the sandal. Disciples could serve their master all the way up to taking the sandal off. See John's distinction there? I don't even want to be a disciple of Jesus. I am his slave. I'm his slave. I don't care about all that other stuff. I don't care about that racket and that static that happened before. I'm his slave. I'm his slave. And if we think that way, we're set. We are set when we think that way, that we are Christ's slave. Because nobody can take anything away from you then. We don't have anything. We've already given it all away. There's, there's total freedom when we embrace being a slave to Jesus. Total freedom. Because it keeps us from holding on to anything. Because we don't have anything. John himself says, Christ gave me everything in my ministry already. How can I want any of it back? It's all His. Paul agrees, Philippians 3.13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, which is becoming like Christ. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul looked ahead. John looked ahead. But John isn't even where we need to stop. Because towards the end of John's ministry, what started happening? All of his disciples started jumping ship. They switched teams. Including Andrew and Peter, which were like high-end starters. Like these guys were legit disciples that have now changed teams. And John says, that's awesome. He's way better anyway. He's way better. Jesus is way better in his origin. You know, John was from the earth. Jesus was from heaven. John baptized with water. Jesus baptized with spirit and fire. That's verse 31, if you like, of chapter 3. Verse 32 and 34. He's better in his word. John spoke words that were given to him secondhand. Jesus spoke words that he had been right there for. He was given words that he had seen and heard. 
So he was better in origin, word, and resource. Verse 35. Everything was placed in Jesus' hands by the Father. Every resource at his disposal, right away. It's all there. He was better in all of those ways. And yet, Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, led a life that said, I must decrease so that He will increase. His Father to increase. So we look to Jesus. He's even greater than John. This is what Jesus Himself says. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Jesus didn't even want any of the honor to Himself. He figured everything good that happened to Him was glory to His Father anyway. John 5.30 I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of Him who sent me. Philippians 2 verse 6 who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. This is, this is crazy. The Garden of Gethsemane, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Every part of Jesus' flesh said no. No to the cross. No to the horrors. Do you guys know Jesus was the only one that died and wasn't surprised by anything that happened to him? Do you think Jesus said, oh, you're using those nails? Oh, I'm surprised by how much that hurt. Jesus is the only one that went to his own death having a preview of it. He would have known That's one of the major horrors of the cross is he would have known what was waiting for him. He would have known. And yet he said, not my will. Not my will, Father. I seek to decrease so that you would increase. And in that, I seek to decrease so we all would increase. We increase, we benefit from the sacrifice that Jesus gave for all of us. It's, it's, it's amazing. You know, obedience only begins when it's difficult, when it's costly. Otherwise, you're just agreeing. All right? It's just agreeing otherwise. So let's talk just a few minutes about living this out. You know, I was drawn to a, a term, the law of diminishing returns. This... Does anyone know what that means? The law of diminishing returns? It's a business term. Kind of staunchy. Really interesting. The law of diminishing returns. These applications do not follow the law of diminishing returns. Which states, it's the point in which the level of profits or benefit gained is less than the amount of money or energy invested. It's like working overtime and your check is smaller because they're taking more away. Right? Have you guys ever had that? That's the law of diminishing returns. Or when you're working 60 hours and now you want to work 75 and burnout sets and I'm actually not getting as much, my efficiency's gone down. That's the law of diminishing returns. And if we practice these applications, 
to live a life that truly embraces decreasing for the sake of Christ's increase in our own life, there is no law of diminishing returns in these. Pray in His presence as you patiently practice He before I. Pray, presence, patience, and practice. I know they've all been peas today, but we're potty training, so peas. Yeah, no? Come on. Come on. Application number one, pray. Quite simply, pray. Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus often got away to pray to His Father. Pray Scripture as Jesus did in the desert to ward off the thoughts that the enemy wants you to have. Because the enemy would love for you to think the opposite of Jesus in this case. Pray is also where we experience the splendor, the beauty, the glory of the person that we are submitting all of ourselves to. We need to have the picture of who He is. So pray. Second, presence. It's not natural to prefer Christ to self. That's just not natural. Is that true? Is that true if we think of our own lives? It's not natural to say, I'm going to prefer Christ in this case, even if it means I hurt, even if it means I'm embarrassed, even if it means I'm ostracized. That's not natural. It's not natural. But that's the call of the Christian life. And it's impossible without the Spirit. John 16, the great passage where Jesus so beautifully explains the Holy Spirit's work. Verse 14, the Spirit, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The mind of Christ was solely bent on giving glory to the Father. And that same purposeful mindset can be given to us as well. And we can be totally focused on giving glory to God, to Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. But we need to do it in the Spirit's work. Because glory to the Son is the point. That's the point of everything. We exalt Christ in our lives as we prefer Him to ourselves. Thirdly, so we pray, we seek for the presence of God, and we do it with patience. Because this mindset of increasing for the sake, or decreasing for the sake of increasing in Christ, is totally opposite to what the world wants you to think. Totally opposite. But it's true. This is the law of the land. Increasing and decreasing work like this. There's no middle ground. It's like a teeter-totter, right? If, if one side increases, the other one's going down. That's just how it works, okay? That's the law. So if we think we can increase without something else decreasing, it's not going to happen. Something will always decrease around us. We want it to be ourselves. But Christ will do this. Christ in you is your hope for glory. 1 Corinthians 1.27 Lastly, practice. Pra- simply practice. Don't be like Alan Iverson and hate practice, no? Sorry, just the guy's got that one. 
YouTube's going to be on fire when we leave today. This is the simplest application of the day, simply to practice. Practice submitting. Practice decreasing self. It's the simplest. It's the toughest. I've seen Jeremy in the back corner. I don't think he's here today, but I've seen Jeremy in the back corner. There he is. I'm going to talk about you, all right? Cool. All right. He's cool with it. All week, sitting in that back corner with about 15 books, and the tables are kind of wobbling on the the table because there's so many books on there, because he's practicing becoming a pilot. He's learning about it. He's going on tests. They're getting dangerous. Is that a lot of work, Jeremy? That's a lot of work. That is a lot of work. And it takes a commitment. He has to book these things. He has to wait for instructors. We can practice far easier this. Because whether you like it or not, there's a lot of people to practice with. Because it's the people around us that we can practice decreasing ourselves for the increase of others. That's kind of how it works. If you have a spouse, you say amen to this. You already know this. If you have a child, you say amen to this. If you have four or five children, you weep when I talk to you about this. All right? Because there's lots of opportunities to practice decreasing for the increase of somebody else. So take advantage of the people around you and practice, practice, practice. If you can't decrease yourself for the sake of somebody else, it's going to be really hard to do it for the Lord. And vice versa. It's going to be really hard. To conclude, I want to simply talk about our trust. This requires supernatural trust. Supernatural trust. John found great joy in this. He said, therefore my joy is now complete. I must increase. He must increase, but I must decrease. John fully trusted Jesus with every aspect of his life. Jesus fully trusted his Father. And Jesus is asking us to fully trust Him with every aspect of our life. It takes a great level of trust to live this. A great level. Jesus desires that we would let go of our lives to surrender ourselves to Him so that He can do more than we could ever hope or imagine. It only happens when we get out of the way. That we would decrease so He would increase is our only hope, our only salvation, and our absolute greatest joy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank You just so much simply for today. For all that You've done, again, for the service, for Your Word. Help us to live a life that is completely focused through trust in dying to self, in decreasing ourselves for the sake of you having more and more and more access to our hearts, our minds, and all of our lives. This is only made possible supernaturally. So I ask you to come to minister and to do the work. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.